morning, everybody. I say it again. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church, like my lovely wife said. My name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And I want to welcome you here today. Special, special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the very first time and see a few new faces. Uh, and I also want to welcome those of you who are watching us online. Thank you so much for being here uh, today. So I have a lot to share with you this morning, so I'm going to get right into it. I have the privilege of concluding a teaching series that we've been in for the last several weeks, a teaching series that we've simply been calling Relationships Matter. It is our summer relationship series, and as the summer draws to an end, this series draws to an end. And we've been talking about relationships, if you're unfamiliar with this series, because relationships matter, as the title says. And uh, relationships, as we say often, are a vital part of our purpose, our God-given purpose on life. We are instructed uh, to love God and to love people. And so our whole life, communion with God, communion with other people, centers on right, healthy relationships. And because the scriptures have so much to say, and because they're so important, we choose to pause each and every summer to spend some time talking about relationships. And so if you've been tracking with us, you know that we've covered so far healthy communication, uh, friendship, we've talked about work relationships, we've talked about godly parenting, and we just finished a two-week cluster on Christian marriage. And today I want to conclude this series by discussing an often overlooked but vitally important subject, and that is singleness. This is the last, but it's certainly not least, in our series on relationships. And you might ask, just because you're curious, not because you're cynical, you might ask, well, why are we talking about singleness uh, in church? Well, I just think this is important because we are called as followers of Jesus to be distinct, right? Christian distinctiveness is vitally important. We are called, if you search the scriptures, to be uniquely other, to be set apart from the world, right? Living a life that is different from the world around us. But the truth is there is generally nothing in us that naturally bends toward the will of God. I'll say that again. There's nothing in us that naturally, in and of itself, bends toward the will of God. In fact, the opposite of truth. Our wills and our desires tend to bend toward selfish and self-gratifying things that run toward the things of this world rather than toward the things of God. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, particularly those of us who take it seriously, we need more help more conversations, more sermons on those vitally important uh, subjects, right, that require us to be transformed to look more like Jesus. We've talked about Romans 12 a lot. Have our minds renewed, surrendered our bodies to God. We need more conversations on the high-stake matters of life and not less. And there are a few subjects, there are a few life stages that are more challenging and more complicated than singleness in general, but when you add Christian in front of singleness, it becomes infinitely more challenging, right? Infinitely more complicated because as we said a couple weeks ago, when you add Christian to something, it elevates it, right? The stakes get higher, it gets more challenging, the boundaries are squeezed in more, and so there are fewer life stages and fewer subjects that are more challenging and more complicated than Christian singleness. Let's face it, if you're single and you're not a Christian, it can be seen as a great opportunity to be free, 
to be unattached, to play the field, to explore your options, to sow your wild oats. You're unencumbered by marriage, and you can do pretty much whatever you like. But if you're a Christian and you're single, it can be a very different ball game, right? Because we hold, after all, to a biblical sexual ethic that prohibits sex and lust outside of heterosexual marriage. And so Christian singleness doesn't mean that we're free and just unattached. It means that we're called to celibacy and an unusual amount of self-control powered by the Holy Spirit, all the while being situated in a culture that can, what, overvalue marriage and being coupled And oftentimes our Christian singles feel like they're on an island left to fend for themselves. We can be situated in a culture that can devalue the unmarried or the uncoupled. And so this, my friends, is a subject that I believe is worth talking about. And so I want to spend some time here today. Uh, And since this is such a vast subject that I don't have time to totally cover, I want to give you just a few basic assumptions as we begin our time here today. The first basic assumption is that the singles community is really, really diverse. There's no one corner of singleness that, you know, captures it all. It's a really diverse community because in it you have unmarried teens and young adults and people of all ages. You have those who are single again because they are widows or widowers or they are divorcees. You have unmarried folks who prefer to stay unmarried, and you have unmarried folks who strongly, strongly desire to be married. And on top of that, you have people whose sexual orientation and attraction, coupled with their faith, can complicate their ability to both honor God and be in a satisfying romantic relationship. Friends, the singles community is diverse, deep, and wide. Another basic assumption is that Christian singleness, like Christian marriage, can be hard. It can be hard. It can be very difficult with all the social pressure to be coupled from family and friends, from places like this, your church, and especially from social media where everybody looks so happy, right? Everybody posts their best pictures. Everybody's smiling, right? And so there's all this social pressure to couple up. And the truth is, sadly, even in the churches, I've heard year after year from the singles in our church and beyond, that this place and what it represents can be a really, really, really hard place for a single to be and a single to thrive. Add to that the challenges and demands of celibacy. Add to that the demands and the challenges of feeling like you're second class. Christian singleness, friends, can be hard. Because of these and a number of things, there can be a stigma placed on singleness, especially in the church, where people, well-meaning people say unhelpful things, and all the things around you can remind you of your singleness. And all in that, the wrong messages can be sent and believed, and so we need to talk about it. And so I came all the way down here today to say this, that God thinks highly of singles And God thinks highly of singleness. I'll let that sit there for a second. God, the God of the Bible, the God that we've gathered here to worship today, thinks highly of single people 
and thinks highly of singleness. Can I press in a little further? We here at the SSV, we think highly of our singles and we value singleness. We at the SSV, and we're trying to, you know, work that out and live that out in a better, more uh, pressing way, but we value our singles and we value singleness. And so the challenge today, as we press into this subject today, is that everyone, not just our singles, but everyone that's under the sound of my voice would elevate our view of singleness today. I think that's vitally important. That everybody, whether you're single or married, would elevate, actively elevate our view of singleness because I think it's super important. That our vantage, that our view of this really important subject would match the vantage point of heaven. That we would assign a value and an importance and a significance to this, the same value that heaven puts on singleness That's the goal of this message today. I'm simply calling this message today a high view of Christian singleness. A high view of Christian singleness. And of course, as I said, the goal is to elevate everybody's view, to see it the way God sees it. And so that singles can walk in all that God has for them and that married folks can do the most good and the least amount of harm as we relate to our single brothers and sisters. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Would you meet me there in your Bibles? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to start at verse 7. Um, We're going to project these words on the screens. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles as well as your electronic devices. While you find that, let me pray this morning. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here today in your name, with your people. And Father, we ask that you would press in today, that you would set the table, and that we would feast. Father, we know that there's crazy things going on in the world, and we just ask that you would intervene, that you would help those who are suffering today, those in Haiti and those in Afghanistan and those all over the world who are being persecuted and dealing with all manners of issues. Lord, we just pray that you would intervene and that you would surround them. But today, Father, in this house... I pray that you would soften our hearts so that your word and your truth might be uh, 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 sort of till the soils of our hearts so that whatever you have to share today would have a soft place to land. Come Holy Spirit, put power on this message. Do what only you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. First Corinthians chapter 7. Um, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but the entire chapter I'm going to assign for you to read as homework, because the entire uh, chapter gives some great context for the sections that we'll read today. But in this particular chapter, this is one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, and in it, Paul is trying to clear up some misunderstandings for these folks at this lovely church. In this chapter, he's talking about sex, he's talking about marriage, and he's talking about singleness. Today, I'm going to zero in on the parts of this text that deal with our subject today, singleness. I'm going to start at verse 7. Paul says, but I wish everyone were single. That's a mouthful. Just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or other. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. 
It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life because an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided, and in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Verse 35, and so I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I'll read that last line again. I want you to do whatever will help you to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Now, this is a very interesting text, to say the very least. And it's something that every serious follower of Jesus, especially if you're single, has to seriously wrestle with. To some, this is a familiar text. It's a familiar passage. And it seems to be, for good reason, the go-to passage on Christian singleness. And while it says a mouthful, it can also solicit an eye roll from those who are single and over it. Single and over being single. I know some people, whenever they hear this read, they just go, oh, the gift of singleness, the gift of singleness. They're over it for good reason. And if you've been hanging around church, particularly this church, you've heard sermons on this before. But can I challenge you today to lean in with fresh ears? I know you've read this passage a million times maybe, and you've heard sermons on this, but can I challenge you today to lean in with fresh ears? This passage may feel overused. It might feel like an oversimplification or mischaracterization of singleness. It might even seem to you to be unhelpful, but I want to challenge you today to let God use the living word this morning to hit everybody in the room. You say, everybody, preacher? Everybody in the room, because married people need to elevate their view of singleness, and our faithful single folks need to do so as well. And so today I want to offer you two ways that Paul helps us through this text to elevate our view of Christian singleness, and I want to offer two ways that you can begin today to live the good life as a Christian single. Let's look at the text, shall we? The first way is that Paul challenges us to see singleness as a gift from God. Paul challenges us all, not just singles, but all of us to see singleness as a gift from God. And again, I can hear some of the singles in their minds saying, a gift, oh, what a gift. But Paul says, I wish everyone were single, just as I am. And as I'm wrestling with this this week, I go, is this like, is this like preacher talk? Is this hyperbole? Is Paul trying to spin this? Is he trying to sell this? I don't think this is going to work. But Paul says, I wish that everybody was single just like he is, yet each person has a special gift from God. Everybody. Now let's pause here for a moment, shall we? Clearly Paul is framing this particular relationship status, singleness, as a special gift from God that's really, really important. And some of you might say, hold on, preacher. I just sat through two services, 
two weeks ago where you said that marriage was a special gift from God. I'm confused. Which one is the better, most special gift from God, marriage or singleness? And my answer to that question is yes. Yes. You say, which one? Yes. Both of them are super duper special. And Paul continues by leaning on this some more. He says in verse 8, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if you can't control themselves, then go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And this is so significant to me. These verses stand out to me in ways that they hadn't before. Because Paul really is holding singleness out here as the better of the two options. And that blows my mind in some ways. Paul is saying, in essence, if you're going to make me pick which one I think is more beneficial, if you want to make me pick which one is the more you know, expedient, sort of more life-giving, more healthy, helpful relationship status, I'm going to pick singleness. And he almost seems to say, if you just can't help yourself, go ahead and get married. If you're struggling and you can't, if you just can't bear it, then get married. But Paul is saying, it's the singleness for me. Which is mind-blowing in many, many ways. What's Paul up to? What is God up to with this text? Seems that Paul is going to great lengths to redeem and to reframe that which has been devalued and stigmatized. I'm going to say that again. Paul seems to be going to great lengths to both redeem and to reframe that which has been devalued in our culture, especially, and stigmatized. And if you haven't figured it out, I'm talking about Christian singleness. But why? What does Paul know that sometimes we don't? What has Paul latched onto that we can forget? Here's what Paul knows. That we don't or can't cherish what we don't value. We can't, we most certainly don't, cherish or hold dear that which we don't value. What he also knows is we won't use well what we won't value. We won't use well what we won't value. And in a sense, he's elevating the status of Christian singleness so that we might see it, what it is, for what it is. God needs us to value and cherish where you are, where he has you right now, whether he's married or you're married or whether you're single. Lena Abu Jamra in her book, Thrive, The Single Life God Intended, writes this, you cannot please the Lord when you're nursing a grudge about your singleness. She says, you cannot please the Lord when you're nursing a grudge about your singleness. And even though I'm not specifically talking to married people today, I think the same applies. 
If you're nursing a grudge about your status as a married person in this present moment, it's going to be hard for you to please the Lord with your life and with your relationships and even in your singleness. She continues, God has decided that for better or for worse for you, the best gift for you right now is the gift of singleness. And some of you said, Lord, any other gift you have in your storehouse, any other one, I'll take it. But I think we need to wrestle with these words today. He wants us to see it as a gift. He wants us to see it as not the leftovers, not being second class, not being unimportant and unchosen. God has you right where he wants you in this moment, and he wants you to see it as a gift. Why? Because God wants us to use our special gift, whether it's married or singleness, especially if it's singleness, and aim our gift, the gift of our life, the gift of our relationship status, back at him, to give it back to him. And so the second thing I see in this text is Paul challenges us to, with our singleness, devote ourselves to the Lord. We got to see it as a gift first. We got to see it as something we cherish, something we value, otherwise we won't steward it well. But he wants us to use that and devote ourselves to the Lord. And Paul leans into this one as at least his primary reason for preferring singleness over the other option, marriage. He continues in verse 32, I want you to be free, or at least as free as you can possibly be, from the concerns of this life. That's important. He continues, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man, his interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can devote herself to the Lord wholly in body and spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And Paul, he, he, like, he goes deeper. He presses in a little bit more. And can I tell you, the more that I read this, the more it convicts me. Excuse me, the more it convicts me. Even as a married man, I feel confronted by this text. I feel personally attacked in the most constructive Holy Ghost way. You might ask yourself, why? Well, the reason is because I don't always, even as a preacher, even as a pastor, I don't always view God's plan for my life in this way. I don't always consider the fact that God desires and intends for me to be as free from the concerns of life as humanly possible. I don't always see my life in this way. I don't always understand and make decisions on the basis that God desires for me, he intends for me to be as distraction-free as humanly possible, to work at having the least divided heart that I can possibly have. And so I go out and I get me a wife, a lovely one at that. And we have for ourselves four children. Slice the pie up some more. I'm more divided. These are great things, but I'm more divided. Start a church, Christian vocation, but still, I'm more divided. Grab some friends, grab some hobbies. All of these things, for better or worse, they slice up 
my attention, my affection, my loyalties. And sometimes I don't stop and think about all the ways my interest and my loyalties, even with really good things, get divided up. And my capacity to love the Lord with my whole self gets diluted. This is what Paul is trying to paint a picture of. And as much as our vocations are a gift, they can distract and divide. As much as our friendships are, are, are a gift, they can distract and divide. Our hobbies distract and divide. Our marriages distract and divide. Kids and all the stuff that comes along with that can distract and divide. But Paul says the single person, as stigmatized as they often are, as undervalued as they often are, as challenging as that lifestyle might be, as much as, as you might long for God to give you the gift receipt so that you might turn, return the gift of singleness, as much as you might pine for that, Paul knows and God knows and we now know that you are in the best position to do precisely what God has called you to do, and that is give what? Your whole self to him. Your whole self to him. Now, I'm a realist, and I have single friends who help me shape messages like this, and what I know is that this isn't music to your ears. And you might be praying that I would have come with a better, sort of more encouraging angle than this. Maybe a prophecy from heaven that says, hey, your ship's about to come in. Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright is right around the corner, just, just, just hanging there. And that may be true for you, but that's not the word the Lord gave me to give you today. The word that the Lord had me bring down here was to let you know, singles who are valued and loved by us and by God, you are in the best possible position to give yourselves to the Lord. To spend this time, whether it's for a season or for a lifetime, devoted to him with fewer divided loyalties and interests, you're in the best position. But how many of you know that all kinds of things can compete for our attention and affection? Things that leave us distracted. Postures that leave us longing after what we don't have. And even patterns of besetting sin that cause us to drift farther away from the things of God and relationship with God and not closer. And when it's all said and done, single folks, you can find yourself having squandered the season of life that could have been most devoted, most undivided, most pressed up against the things the love, the faithfulness of God. And again, I say, I know this is the last thing that some of you wanted to hear today, but I do believe that it is the word of the Lord. And some of you say, preacher, this is good, challenging, convicting, helpful, but how, how do I stay in the fight? What, what, what wisdom, what, what truth can you give me to help me to stay in the fight so that I can maximize this. Some of you are like absolutely killing the Christian single life and you're doing it. But some of you say, Pastor, help me today. 
Give me some wisdom from heaven. Two things. Two things. The first is, I think God is challenging you to deal with your distractions head on. I said earlier, there are all sorts of things that will complicate your life as a Christian single. All sorts of things. You can just sort of drift down the lazy river of life and just hope they get worked out. They never get worked out. Or you can deal with the distractions head on. And I'm talking specifically about the unique distractions that can keep a single person from living the best possible life that God has for them. Paul says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And so he gives us a general warning concerning the harmfulness of the things that can distract us and how they can prevent us, whether married or single, from being devoted to God. And I just want to list off a couple of things, and the more I think about this, especially this week, the more I think that this could apply to anybody, married or single, but I'm specifically aiming this at our single brothers and sisters today. I'm talking about the distractions. Chief among them, discontentment. And it's just a sort of deep, deep dissatisfaction with where you are and where God has you. One of the secrets to finding and living the good life, no matter who you are, is to be content with where you are. That doesn't mean you're happy. That doesn't mean that's all you want for yourself. But to understand that God is good and he has you where he wants you for this particular season of your life, Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. And it's one of the greatest challenges of life to learn what? Contentment. And I hear over and over from single friend after single friend that they wrestle with feeling discontent. And in a world of social media, where everybody's highlight reel is being played over and over, Facebook stories, Instagram posts, and all the social media platforms that I'm not cool enough to even know about, it gets hard to be content with a slice of life that God has given you. It, it can be hard for you to plant your feet on the plot of grass that God has given you without looking over the fence, longing for what someone else has, the distraction of discontent, which is often joined by jealousy, <laughs> envy, and covetousness, which is basically the pining for a deep longing for what you don't have, particularly what somebody else seems to be enjoying. These friends are distractions. And if I were to press in a little bit deeper here, the Lord is challenging you to deal with the distraction of sin. And here I'll be discreet because we didn't give a, you know, parental warning for this, and so I want to be discreet because I know there are little ears in the room. But sin! It's chief among the distractions for those of us living the single life. And by this, I mean all the various forms of intimacy that God forbids. All the patterns and besetting sins that flow from this discontentment, that flow from 
these longings that we have for physical intimacy like these things don't work themselves out. They simply do not. Harmful addictions, they don't work themselves out. Deep patterns of secret, hidden things, they don't work themselves out. And so this is a major distraction that God is challenging each and every one of us to deal with head on. Another important distraction for the single person is entertaining the wrong people. And this could be a message in and of itself, but I feel like this is for somebody today. Entertaining the wrong people. Sometimes it's hard to know if the person you're interested in or, or that you're dating is, the, is, is good for you or not. I know, I know that sometimes it's hard to know. This takes some time. But oftentimes, you know that the person you're engaged with is Mr. Wrong. You know that the sister that you're chasing is Miss Wrong. If nothing else but Miss Wrong for you. The follower of Jesus would, with certain principles and certain values and a, on a certain path and trajectory. So just some of these decisions are no-brainers, but nothing can derail your singleness like being coupled to the wrong person. And I wrestled with whether or not to include this, but I know that somebody in here needs to understand, need to hear in the most loving, compassionate, but in a very direct and firm way that it matters who you entertain. Your sustainability and your fruitful longevity as a Christian single, however long it might last, really depends in large measure on who you entertain. And I'm not just talking about the people you choose today, but I'm talking about who's in your circle, right? If your good time buddies don't love the Lord, you're going to struggle. If your friends are not on a trajectory that honors the Lord and takes seriously his commands and takes seriously the foul lines that he draws on the playing field of life, you're going to have a problem. Friends, it matters who you entertain. And all of these and more are the distractions of life as a Christian single that complicate deep satisfaction and a life of holiness that allows you to use the gift of singleness, that period of time, to aim it at the Lord, which is what we're called to do. Whether it's dissatisfaction, and discontentment, jealousy, envy, envy, or covetous sin, or the people in your life, my question to you is, what is your plan? I don't want to be overly prescriptive and tell you what to do, but, but what's your plan? Who are you going to talk to today? To deal with some of these things head on. Who are you going to confess to today? What things do you need to add to your life? What things or people or places or things do you need to subtract to your life so that you can be, as Paul says, as free from distractions as possible? Deal with the distractions head on. The second tip is, I don't know which one is more important. I hold them as equally significant, and that is to uh, don't do singleness alone. 
don't do singleness on your own. And I might offer this as an invitation to use this community to help you thrive. And I know we don't always get it right. I know that churches, even our churches, can overfocus on families, overfocus on marriage, overfocus on children. And I've been told, in the most respectful way, that sometimes being a single person around here can make a person feel unseen. One person just said, I, sometimes I just dread showing up to things because I know I'll have to sit by myself. Or I know that I'll have to work to be included. And sometimes that's how it is, and we have to do a much better job. But don't do singleness alone. As challenging as it is to press into community, as challenging as it is to show up, don't lean away from community. Show up at church. Show up at small group. Offer to lead a small group. Even if, you know, you have to pick one that caters specifically to singleness. Get yourself some Christian friends and hang out with them. Why? Because the devil will eat your lunch apart from the family of faith. Now, this applies to any life stage, but I'm talking to singles today. Satan will eat your lunch. He's happy to be your companion if you decide to pull yourself away from the faith community. Well, my charge to you is to press in to community. Why? Because a community, like nothing else, can help you turn your eyes and fix them onto Jesus. Can help you turn your eyes and turn your heart and fix them on to Jesus. And all kinds of things have conspired against the Christian single in the last couple of years, COVID and the isolation that's come with that, to get you detached from community, attached to the wrong things and the wrong places and the wrong people. And some of you are reeling now from the disconnection from the family of faith. You're reeling now from the disconnection from the things and the people of God and you better hear the sweaty preacher today. Don't forsake the community. Because the community can help you turn your eyes toward Jesus. And as the songwriter says, as we turn our eyes unto Jesus, as we look full into his face, the things of earth, what? The distractions of earth, they do what? They go right strangely dim in the light of his glory. And grace. Community can help you turn your eyes to Jesus. Community can also help you guard your heart. Guard your heart from the people. Guard your heart from the places. Guard your heart from the things that don't deserve you, that don't deserve your time, that don't deserve your attention, that don't deserve your affection. Christian community can help you do that. And worship team, you can come up as I close. So we put this all together. 
as we all challenge ourselves to elevate our view of Christian singleness. We must see it as a gift. Married people, you got to see it as a gift. Single folks, you got to see it as a gift so that you cherish it and value it so that you can then, what, aim it at devoting yourself to God. Paul, as I said, frames Christian singleness as the best possible place and station in life to give yourself more fully to God. And for those of you struggling and wrestling with God because you want to get this right, you might say to the Lord, Lord, help me to deal with my unique distractions. Help me to bring those things and lay them at your feet. Help me to, to, to develop a plan so that I might lean into the things that will add to my flourishing. And others of you would confess that you need to challenge yourself, as challenging as it might be, to not forsake Christian community, to not forsake the gathering so that this community can help you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and to, above all things, to guard your heart. Who needs this today? Yeah. And so my prayer is that as we pray uh, and as we uh, worship with this final song, that the Lord would just continue to meet us here. And what I know is that while God is speaking through the word and through his truth, the enemy is also speaking as well. The enemy is also trying to talk you out of the things that you know you need to do, the moves that you know you need to make. And so my prayer is that as we worship today, the spirit of God would arrest us. Can I also just say that there's some married folks in the room who many of these principles apply? And even as you listened intently, trying to figure out how to show up for the single people in your life, you were arrested by some things that relate directly to your life as a married person. Don't. Don't ignore the voice of the Lord today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. As we make room for you today. God, would you surround those who are just over their relationship status, whatever it might be. Would you surround those who are just sort of fantasizing about just letting it all go and doing just whatever they like? Would you surround that person in this moment? Would you surround the person who is on the verge of giving up? Would you surround the hopeless this morning? Help us to make room. Jesus' name.